come to God's Word this morning, would you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, to the final verses. We're going to be in verses 16 to 20 of Matthew 28. And uh, if you need a title for the sermon, it is Doing Missions Biblically. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. And uh, I believe you had a handout with the outline. Um, This is one of those bold sermons, perhaps by a foolish preacher who went for eight points instead of just three, right? So Matthew 28, verse 16, would you follow along with me? I'm reading from the New American Standard, but these verses should be pretty similar in any version that you have. Matthew writes there, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I've mentioned our village of Mauerero. Let me tell you what life is like for the people there. They are very poor. Uh, Most of the people lack clothes. They do have some clothes and usually one or two pairs of shorts or shirts or skirts or whatever it is, but Really, things like that are very hard for them to access because just like anything else, tools and and food that they want to bring in from outside because they have to hike an entire day out the village to the coast and then still pay a very exorbitant fee and catch a dinghy across the bay, the Astrolabe Bay, to get to Madang Town, which is a four-hour journey in itself. It's very difficult. Healthcare in Papua New Guinea in general, as you may be aware, is uh, almost non-existent. Uh, it, it, it's good in some places, but generally in the, across the country, um, it's very poor. And especially in our village, um, though we have a little clinic there and, and a, a man who works harder trying to care for the people, uh, there's almost never the supplies that he needs. Uh, people regularly are full of sores and infections, and TB is rampant, there's typhoid, and so on. Uh, Education and literacy is very low. Uh, The quality is very poor. Um, There's no electricity. Um, One or two people have solar panels and a car battery, and um, uh, but it's very few. Uh, The church, there is a church, as I mentioned, the Lutheran missionaries came in there in the 60s. Uh, the church has been here in the village since then and in our region, really. Um, they don't have the whole Bible in the Doe language. They have a New Testament that was done by Wycliffe many years ago. Um, but the Doe language, as they speak it in our village, it, it doesn't exist, the Bible there. Um, our, our Lutheran church, they don't have fancy Fender guitars. Their guitars are falling apart and need repairs and so on. And they, they, the building is starting to need replacement. It's about to fall down. And if you were to go to one of these missionary sites like the Joshua Project or read the book, uh, on, uh, I forgot the title, but the, the book that tells you about the world and the state of the church, um, you'll read that Papua New Guinea is 96% Christian about 25-26% evangelical and 1% unevangelized. So based on all of that that I've just shared with you, what would you say missions in Mauerero should be? I can tell you what they want. The people in Mauerero village want us to come in and give them relief from their very difficult life. They want us to help them flourish and be healthy and wealthy and prosper. They want their life transformed in a very practical way. And as you know, many churches and organizations today would say that is exactly what we should be doing. I challenge you, not now, but afterwards, take the words uh, church, mission, or Christian and then add them to those needs I just listed for you and you will find organizations dedicated to doing just those things. 
you find many churches focusing on that. But you'll also find other missions organizations like ourselves and churches like this that are rather focused on preaching the gospel and planting churches and training church leaders. And the fact is, all of us claim to be fulfilling the Great Commission here in Matthew 28. So what does the Bible say missions in Mawarero should be? What does the Scripture say it should be? Well, yeah, in Matthew 28, we do find the answer. Yeah, we find that Jesus, the master architect and builder, has this construction plan for his church, the way he will build the church. And as we work through this, I've uh, put it under eight aspects, eight aspects of uh, the mission's task. And we'll find that Christ has not given us many options, but he has given us only one as to what missions should be in Mawarero. It's a very narrow focus, and in Matthew 28, you're going to find that the task is this. We are to plant churches. That is the mission Jesus has given his church. It is a command in Matthew 28 to plant churches. And I trust that as we work through this passage, that will become clear to you. And that you'll see our missions efforts in Mawarero or anywhere in the world as we think about what missions is and what it is we should be doing. That it needs to fall within this narrow framework that Christ has given us of planting churches. Listen, there are many things that you can do within those boundaries. But those are the boundaries. We are about planting churches. So as we work through this passage, I just want to warn you up front, it's going to be somewhat unbalanced. Some points we will have to move through quickly, but others I'll pause and we need to think through it in some detail. But as we go to the passage in verse 16, look at that with me, we find the first aspect of the church's mission, and it's this, the laborers, who are they? It's all disciples. Look at verse 16. Matthew writes, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Now, you might think I'm contradicting what Matthew said there. But what we find is that it is not only the eleven. They are the focus of Matthew in this passage because he's just followed them from where they got scattered um, after Jesus' death. And he, he's, he's focusing on himself and the others. Judas is now dead having betrayed Christ, and he's also focusing on them because these apostles are the ones that Jesus sends out as the foundation of the church. And so they are the ones that start this great commission and set it going. But even in the context of this passage itself, we can see that it is not only for the eleven. Look down at verse 19. We see the scope of this mission is Make disciples of all nations. Well, that already tells you it's going to extend beyond the 11. And not only that, but its duration. Look at verse 20. Jesus says there, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The duration is until Christ returns, and that extends beyond the 11. This is a commission, in fact, given to all Jesus' disciples which means you and I. In fact, if you remember in 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul opens that chapter and his discussion of the resurrection, he mentions a time where Jesus appeared to more than 500 believers after his resurrection. It's very likely that this is the day that that took place. And so, yeah, the, the laborers we find in Matthew 28 extend beyond the 11. It's all believers, all disciples of Christ are commanded by our Lord to partake in this great commission. And this leads us to the second aspect of the church's mission. It is this, that the foundation of our mission is the Lordship of Christ. This is found in verses 17 and 18. 
If you think about Jesus' arrest, the trials, and then his execution, it was like a tornado that swept in and just blew the disciples, scattered them away, and blew away any idea or thought of ever seeing Christ again. And yet, here he appears, and he's alive and in the flesh. And we read in verse 17 that when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Just think about this. Just stop here and pause and think about this. The disciples doubted it was Christ. Do you realize that that is evidence of the full humanity of Christ? And it is evidence that Jesus truly did die on the cross. Because the reason they doubted his resurrection was because they were absolutely certain of his death. They were eyewitnesses. They knew for a fact that Jesus died on the cross. There was no doubt in their mind that he was executed and that he was truly dead. And so really, on, just as a side note, this is evidence of the absolute uh, uh, humanity of Christ and the certainty of his death. But many of them, as we see here, also worshipped him. And the reason is because seeing Christ, they realized, just as Paul speaks of in Romans 1 verse 4, that uh, Jesus is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And so the only true way to respond to that is they, they're standing there and they realize, but if Jesus has been raised from the dead by God the Father, it is evidence that he is the Son of God. And therefore they worshipped him. But Matthew's focus here is more on the declaration that Jesus makes. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. God the Father is the one that gave this authority to Christ. God the Father gave it to Christ because of his humble obedience. Turn with me to Philippians 2. Turn over to Philippians 2 and we'll read a few verses that explain this. Paul explains what Jesus is saying here in Philippians 2 verse 8. If you follow along with me, or you can just listen. In verse 8 of Philippians 2, Paul writes of Jesus being found in the appearance as a man. In other words, he was fully man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also, because Jesus took on full humanity, because he humbled himself by being obedient to the will of the Father and dying on the cross, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we find here that this authority of Christ becomes the very lifeblood and the foundation of our church's mission. You see that back in Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore... It has consequences. Jesus' lordship has consequences for the church. And we start to see those consequences in the third aspect of our mission, and it's this. The right of the church's mission is the prerogative of Christ. Look at verse 18 again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. My friends, I'm pretty sure yeah, in Australia, just as we do in South Africa, just as we do in Papua New Guinea and all over the world, you hear much about rights. Lots of people are speaking about rights. Most of them are unbiblical and the wishful thinking of a fallen mankind. But we, as the disciples of Christ, we have the, the right to fulfill the mission Jesus has given us because Jesus has prerogative. Now, that is not a word... You would typically use in a sermon, is it, France? But I love that word, and the reason is because of what it means. Listen to what the Oxford Dictionary says. Prerogative. It is the special right or privilege exercised by a monarch 
or head of state over all other people which overrides the law and is in theory subject to no restriction. The second use is it's the special right or privilege possessed by a person, a class, or a body. God gave Jesus prerogative. He has the special right over all authorities, whether they're angelic, demonic, or earthly. Jesus overrides all laws of all authorities in heaven and earth. He stands above them. He is restricted by none of them. And he has, in other words, prerogative. And we just saw in Philippians, this is what the Father has given to him, lordship. And do you understand that as his body, the church, we have been mediated this prerogative. We have a special right given by Christ to fulfill our mission. That is what Jesus says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. His lordship has implications for us. That means that we as a church, when we do obey Christ's commission in these verses, and we fulfill our mission as the church, there is no authority or law on this, this earth that can prohibit us from doing so. You see, the apostles heard this from Christ, and Christ having ascended, if you turn over to Acts 5 with me, just a few pages in your Bible, Acts 5, you'll see how they understood this. They understood that they had been given prerogative, the right by Christ, based on Christ's lordship, not our own, but Christ's. Acts 5 verse 28, it's in the context of the apostles being arrested for preaching Christ. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, arrest them and they jail them and an angel lets them out and they continue preaching in the temple and then they are brought in before the council, the Sanhedrin. And verse 27, we see that the high priest questioned them. Verse 28, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. Verse 42, I love how Luke summarizes it for us and explains to us how they then continued their mission, verse 42, every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This has implications for our mission as a church. If you are a disciple of Christ here this morning, you are his laborer to fulfill this mission, and you have the right to do so. Whether or not the law says you may or may not. You know that not only in this country but all over the world laws are being passed and do exist and have existed for many decades. That directly attack the mission of the church. Laws like preventing us from preaching against sin. Laws which outlaw biblical counseling which prevent conversions to Christ or preaching Christ or the Christianity in general or even the Bible. Laws are becoming specific as to you shouldn't even read Romans 1. Despite that, you and I must fulfill the mission Jesus has given us. This is where God's charge to Joshua stands true for you and I. Do you remember the words that God said to him? Be strong and very courageous. You know the irony is that a Christian, a believer in Christ, is the most faithful citizen you can find within any nation. Because we love obeying authority that God has placed there. We lead faithful lives. But when we are confronted with laws which hinder the gospel or call us to compromise our faith, we know that based on the authority of Christ, we can disobey. And we can do it with a clear conscience. 
and we can preach Christ because He is Lord. Now, His Lordship is also the foundation of the fourth aspect of our mission, and it's this. The message of the church's mission is proclaiming Christ as Lord. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. In order for us to fulfill our mission, we need to preach Christ. And at the heart of the gospel message is that Christ is Lord. That encompasses the proclamation of His death and His burial and His resurrection and His work for us on the cross. But as we saw in Philippians 2, it comes down to the fact that God, having done all of that, has made Christ Lord. At Pentecost, Peter, when he concluded his gospel sermon, listen to how he concluded it in Acts 2 verse 36. Let me just read that for you. Having preached the gospel, preached Christ and his death on behalf of sinners, this is how Peter summarizes the gospel message. He says there in Acts 2 verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah or Christ, this Jesus. Whom you have crucified. You see, the Lordship of Christ determines not only it, it determines our message, it determines the fact that Jesus is Lord. It means we must preach the consequence of his lordship. Not only that Jesus is Lord, but what is the consequence? The consequence of Jesus being Lord is you need to repent. Because if Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, it means you. Being a rebel against God are accountable to Him. You know that Paul stands up and he says, Jesus has been appointed the judge. Jesus the Lord is the one that the Father has appointed to, who will judge the living and the dead. And therefore, we need to understand, and as we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim that. Jesus is Lord. You will face Him in judgment. And He is just. And in no ways does He leave the guilty unpunished. Therefore, you must repent. We preach not only that, that Jesus is Lord or the consequence of his lordship, we also preach the exclusivity because if Jesus is Lord, we understand that only he is Lord and that it is only in Christ that we find salvation. That's why we read in Acts again, verse 12 of chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. In Mawarero, they are syncretists. They are animists, pagan animists, which means they believe in the forces of nature in the rocks and in the trees and they believe in spirits and that those forces are what work in on your life. And so you commit, act, you do acts of obedience and rituals to manipulate those forces. Now, when Christianity came along, they just added Jesus to that thinking. They never threw it to the side. They just added Jesus. You call that syncretism. Now, if we went in and we did not preach the gospel and we did not pre preach Jesus Christ as Lord, they just add Him to their beliefs. And that is what happened. When the original gospel, whatever was said, I can't say, but whatever was said there, they did not understand Jesus as the sole means of salvation. They did not understand His Lordship. And so when we came into the village... As we spent these years getting to know them and understand what they think and believe, let me give you an example. It's one of many. Um, we asked them, who is Jesus? And this was one of the explanations. They said, Jesus is the son of a very evil and vindictive God. His father loves to do what is evil and harm people. But Jesus, uh, he does not like his father and the way his father behaves. And therefore, he came and he taught us to do what is good. But since we came in and we preached the gospel and we clearly proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord, they've learned the fact that only he is Lord, not nature, not spirits, and not those pagan things that they believe in, but rather all of it has been created by him and for him. 
They've learned the consequence. We clearly proclaim to them that they are sinners in need of repentance and that salvation comes only by repentance and bowing the need to Christ and relying on Him alone for salvation and His work on the cross on their behalf. And that their works and their acts of obedience and their rituals like baptism and communion do not save them. Only Christ, their Lord, can save them. And so you can see even in that context how important it is that you proclaim the Lordship of Christ. It's true there. It's true in Perth. We have many idols, many lords, but not Christ. And so that lies at the heart of the gospel and our message. So what does Jesus say our mission is? He says, all of us are laborers in that mission. It's all the disciples. The foundation is his authority. His lordship gives us the right to fulfill our mission. And the message is preaching him as Lord. But where does Jesus say we must go and preach this message and fulfill our mission? Well, the answer is in verse 19, as you know. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That is the fifth aspect of the church's mission. It's the scope. It's all the nations. Jesus is Lord of all the earth, and so Jesus wants us to go to all the earth and proclaim the gospel. Acts 17:31. Declare to all men, declare to men, forgive me, uh, declare to men that all people everywhere should repent. And think with me back to God's covenant with Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 3. From that point, God was saying, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Or Isaiah 49, verse 6, in speaking of the Messiah, I will make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now again, this has important implications for you and I as we fulfill the church's mission. We must not limit ourselves to build up ourselves in the local body alone. We must send out mature believers to plant and edify churches wherever there are no biblically sound churches and amongst people groups where there are no biblically sound churches. I call this biblical urban sprawl. And we can see how this happens in the sixth aspect, and that is the tasks of the church's mission. Read with me verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The tasks of the church's mission, that's the sixth aspect. And the first task Jesus gives us is to go. Because He's Lord of all the earth, He wants us to go to all the earth. You and I cannot be lazy laborers. We have to be diligent. If you have friends, family, work colleagues, the way I always say it is, if it's human and alive, it's a target for evangelism. It's a target for our mission to preach Christ. And you need to think about this. Jesus says, go. He wants us to be intentional. That's the point. We need to pray for opportunities. Pray to Christ and ask Him, give me opportunities to preach you. And then we need to also work hard at making opportunities. Don't sit back. The Christian life is about doing things. It's about working. Work out your salvation with fear, trembling, knowing that it's God who is at work in you. You give 100%, God gives 100%. M make opportunities. And then when God gives us those opportunities, take them and preach Christ. Think about the believers who were persecuted in the early church after Stephen is murdered and, and Saul is causing havoc in the church. The believers are scattered. And what do the believers who, 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 who go out and eventually end up in the area of Antioch, north in, in, north in Syria, in that Antioch, um, what do they do? 
They're preaching to the Jews, but then they're like, hey, why do we do only the Jews? Let's preach to the Gentiles too, the Greeks. They just took every opportunity. It's human, it's alive, and it needs Christ. And so they preached the gospel. And think about that. What, what church sent out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries? It was the church of Antioch. So when you and I are intentional, intentional like this, Christ builds the local church. And he expands the local church within the local community. But Jesus said, go. And you need to think of this. We need to constantly be pushing outward toward all the nations. Because that's the goal. So build the local church, but constantly be pushing out. Go make disciples of all the nations. Keep your eyes on the horizon. Where's the next place? Think about this, John 10, verse 16, Jesus said this to his disciples, I have sheep not of this fold, I must bring them also. He's speaking to the Jews, and he's speaking of the Gentiles. So as we look to the horizon, and as we think of those of that other fold, we do need to pass through several fields to get to them, right? We... we so this is how you can look at it. Think of it in this way. As I, as I think of the nations, as I constantly want to see the gospel go to the nations, I need to pass through my suburb and the next suburb. Uh, I need to pass through the next town. I need to pass through the next cultural group, the next language, the le- next nation, and constantly be finding God's sheep. Think about this. The next nation may be right here in Perth. That's the nature of our world today. And so we constantly need to be preaching the gospel and looking forward to bring people in from all nations. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. That is the mission Jesus has given us as his disciples. For the Jews, this was very important to hear because, as you know, they're very inward focused. We are God's people. Very self-focused. And Jesus had to tell them, you need to go out. And you and I, I'm not sure how much here in Australia, but in South Africa, where I come from, we are a very churched culture. You can meet, every second person you meet on the street goes to church or will call themselves a Christian. And we get very comfortable doing church. We get very inward-focused. But Christ says, go. Well, the second task, that's the first task, go. The second is make disciples. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And when Christ is saying that, he's telling us, just do what I did. Do what I did. Think about what Jesus did. He went around to the towns and villages of Israel and he was preaching his word, calling people to believe in him and to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And those who believed in him became his disciples. They followed him eagerly. They went around with him listening to his teaching. They obeyed him. And that's what a disciple is. A believing, obedient learner. That's all a disciple is. A believing, obedient learner. And how we make disciples is the same way Jesus did it. We preach the word. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. That is how you are saved. Let me ask you this, how were you saved? Was it perhaps your parents who preached the gospel to you? Is it perhaps one of your children who preached the gospel to you, their parent? In my case, my grandfather a few years ago was on his deathbed in his 90s and never interested in the gospel. But at that time, God was gracious and I spent his final weeks with him just preaching Christ. And God saved him. Is it perhaps a Sunday school teacher or were you invited to church? Was it a Bible study at a college campus? Did you receive counsel? Did you hear some famous preacher on the radio? 
I met uh, someone a few weeks ago who was telling me of a doctor who worked diligently for years in a village, but his purpose in being there was preaching the gospel. And so as he worked with his patients he const and cared for people in the village, he constantly preached Christ, constantly, constantly, and would bring them into the local church that he was a part of. Or a teacher teaching English in some foreign country. Or in our case, for the people of Mauerero, a missionary actually sent for that purpose. Now, yes, something I, I, I want you to realize, because of the state of missions in evangelical churches today, just doing good Bible-based deeds does not make disciples. If you even think about the good deeds of Christ and the miracles that He did, and the way that He cast out all demons, all sickness, everything out of Israel while He was there, the focus was always on the message preached and on His person to attest to Him as Messiah. But the miracles were not the purpose of Jesus' ministry. A disciple is not a man or woman who is excited about Jesus because He makes me flourish in this world and causes me to have the best material life I can have now, my best life now. That is not a disciple. The purpose of Jesus' good deeds, His miracles, as we look at His life, was a test to His message and the Word of God preached. Listen to this. In Luke, when Luke records for us what's happening in the life of Christ in Galilee, people are saying, what is this message? For with authority and power He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. So even the miracles are pointing to the truth that Christ is proclaiming. Verse 43 of that same chapter Jesus says, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. In Acts, when Luke summarizes for us the spread of Christianity and the gospel, listen how interesting it is how he words it. He says, Acts 12 verse 24, But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. You see, doing good deeds as a Christian in the name of Christ is not making disciples. One author, Hesselgrave, writes, quote, People of goodwill of all religions and no religion can and do address the human need for food and clothing and shelter and health and education and justice and so on. But Christians and only Christians can be expected to preach the gospel win men and women of all nations to Jesus Christ and establish churches that will worship and witness until Christ returns. That is so true. Only we have the gospel. Anyone can go and do good deeds. Two friends of mine, Brian Biederbach and Joel James, wrote an article in a, in a seminary journal and they, they wrote the following. Let me quote. The Apostle Paul did not say that God was well pleased to save sinners through the foolishness of the gospel mercied, but rather through the foolishness of the message preached. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. You see, it's only preaching Christ from the word that makes disciples. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. My friends, as you know, the church in general, and, and, and I didn't realize this till I got on the missions field, but the church in general has been focusing on social justice and doing good deeds and not on planting churches, not on proclaiming Christ. Now let me explain to you how bad this is. And again, this I can tell you because I've been on the field now for three and a half years. What would have happened if we went into Mauerero and we went in and we helped them with their poverty and with water and medical and school, but we did not focus on planting a church through the preaching of the gospel? What would have happened? Let me explain. 
in animism, before Christ was ever heard of, the goal of animism, the goal of manipulating and understanding the forces in nature and the spirits, the goal is to understand that, to do rituals, do the right things, not go to the wrong places, ward off sorcery, do sorcery against your enemies, and so on, in order to get wealth, good health, and an easy life. That is the stated goal of animism. Bring along Lutheranism in the 60s, and our village saw getting baptized makes you a Christian, Taking communion, the ritual of baptism makes you a Christian. Taking communion regularly washes away the sins you've built up to that point. And then belief, faith, in their worldview is doing acts of obedience to different commands in the Scripture. And every day, every Sunday that we've attended that church and we hear them preach and teach, their stated goal is we need to do those things because if we don't, we won't get wealth, health, and an easy life. Now, let me ask you again. If we went in and we brought them wealth, health, and gave them an easy life, do you see what would happen? We would reinforce paganism. In fact, even something as good as just doing Bible translation can have the same impact. About a month ago, a man named Jeremiah from a village in a different language group showed up at my porch. And he said to me, I want you to come and do this work in my village. And so I'm a little more savvy nowadays as to the animistic way of thinking. So I said to him, why? What is it you want us to do? So he said to me, well, well I, I need you to come into my village and I want you to do Bible translation and literacy. So I said, that's great, but why? So he said, well, the thing is our youth are getting caught up in all kinds of bad things. And they no longer respect the old ways. And I need you to come in so that our culture can be preserved. The problem, he said, is Melanesian pigeon. He says, because nowadays all the young people are speaking pigeon, but they're losing our home language. So I understood the source behind that. So I looked him in the eyes and I said, Jeremiah, do you believe your language has power? He said, yes, absolutely. You see, in animism, your words have power. So speaking negatively can have an effect on you. Speaking positively can bring about the results. Speaking the right words from your language in your rituals brings about the manipulation of the forces. And do you see what Jeremiah was asking me? He was asking me, come and translate the Bible so that you can preserve my language so that the force, the power that underlies my home language can be retained so that the, the, the things that are going wrong in my society can be righted because the people will then remember our language. And had we gone in, if we go in there and we say, great, we're coming in, you guys are Lutheran, we're just going to translate the Bible for you. What are you doing? You're reinforcing his worldview. So even something as good as Bible translation, if you separate it from the preaching of the gospel and planting churches, it can be bad. Or, more likely, useless. And what you do when you do missions in that way, or you call that which is not missions, missions, you produce disciples to whom Christ will say, I never knew you. It is only because we went in and we proclaimed the gospel message from the word of Christ that we have believers in Mawarera today. But as you know, it doesn't end there. We go... We must make disciples. We must also baptize those disciples. And so that's the third task we are given by Christ. Baptize the disciples. And that's a public declaration that I now have bowed my knee, I have repented, and my faith is in Christ. 
and I have fully submitted to Him. And as you know, God's desire is that those baptized disciples gather together in local congregations where we are dedicated to learning from Christ and obeying Him. We are born through the Word, and in the Word we continue. And so the fourth task Jesus gives us is to teach. To teach disciples. Go and make disciples of the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Think about John 14. Jesus said this, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. We disciples are dedicated to the word of God. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. How do we abide in Christ? By learning all that Christ has commanded us. John 17, verse 17, Jesus prayed for you and I. He said to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That means that we need to be taught the Bible, we need to be discipled, we need to be counseled. And all of this, as you know, takes place in the local congregation. We learned earlier that we are all laborers and we all have a role to play in this task. We don't have the same role to the same extent, but you and I are all involved. Primary teaching is given to us as the local congregation by God through the elders, through the men that are qualified by God uh, to preach and teach and shepherd and counsel. But then think about Titus. What does he say there, Paul? Older women teach the younger women. We have in the body mature believers disciple the immature. Parents, you teach your children and so on. That is the life of a healthy body. This is God's design and it happens in the context of the local church. And when you and I are faithful to do that, yeah, we send out disciples to do the same elsewhere. And so we as the church fulfill our mission. And don't miss this. This is the point. This is Jesus building his church. And we see that in the book of Acts. It is the apostles, the believers at that time, the church who had now received the Holy Spirit. They stood up and proclaimed Christ. And then those believers gathered together in a local congregation, were shepherded and cared for by the apostles. And then as they, as they grew as a local congregation, they sent out and planted more churches. And then you have Paul and Barnabas and all those missionaries planting more churches. And then what do you have? Then you have the next generation. You have the Timothys and the Tituses. And they are faithful. And what do they do? They build the local congregation. That local congregation then sends out others to preach the gospel. And you and I are here today out of that direct line of obedience to fulfill this mission. Now that task is daunting. And the world is ever increasingly hostile to Christ our Lord. And so Jesus encourages us in the seventh aspect, which is found in verse 20. Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always. This is the confidence of the church's mission that Jesus is with us. And I can tell you as we sit in the jungle in Papua New Guinea, these are very encouraging words. And they should be motivating and encouraging to you too. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in this world. Jesus said as his disciple, he is with you to fulfill this mission. Jesus is not distant, he is close to us, but he's, and he's not temporary. Jesus says in verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that is the eighth aspect of our mission as the church that we find here. The duration, we continue this work until Christ's return. So my friends, this morning, I want you to think about this. The scriptures tell us, that the church is the bride of Christ, 
that the church is the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. We are told that Jesus gave himself for the church. He promised to build his church and that to the church he gives gifted leaders so that they can equip disciples to serve one another and keep building the body. And having all that in mind, is it any surprise that the mission Jesus has given us is planting churches? The needs in Mauerero and really anywhere in the world are many and varied. But if we look at these eight aspects of our mission given to us, we see that it is very focused, very narrow. These boundaries are set for us. You and I are to plant churches. Go to all the nations, all of us to labor in the task, making disciples, preaching Christ boldly, baptizing those believers, teaching them. And Jesus says he will enable us, and then he encourages us, telling us he is with us. Let me pray. Father God, we live in a day, as the psalmist says, the wicked strut about. It is a day where there is uh, the same hostility that has always existed against you and your truth and your people. But uh, to us, we can sense it's just increasing. Lord, we thank you that it is not in our own power and not on our own authority and not according to our own message that we preach Christ, but rather based on your authority and the right that you give us and the command and the mission and the task that you give us to go out and proclaim you as the Lord and Savior of mankind. Lord, we are weak vessels. Our abilities vary. Our ability to even understand the arguments of the world and just face the, the hostility. Uh, we are weak and we need your help. We thank you that you are with us and that you love us and you care for us and you enable us. Lord God, we pray that you would give us many opportunities, whether it be in our own homes, with our own family, with our friends, with our colleagues, just in the world in general, uh, to those places to which you send us, like Mauerero and Papua New Guinea and all over the world, Lord. We pray that you'd continue to give us um, an open door. You'd give us opportunities and that you would enable us to be bold, to clearly preach Christ and point people to their Savior and then continue to disciple and shepherd and care and counsel and build up local churches through us, we pray, Lord. Build up this congregation and then others in the Perth area. And Father God, we do thank you that though we are weak, you can make us strong and very courageous. And we can lean on your enabling. And we can do so with great joy. And we can do so bringing great glory and honor to your name. And Father God, that is our world today. That you would encourage us through the truth of Matthew 28. And enable us and embolden us to do this task. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.